Hello everyone and thank you for the download. It's not Monday, but it is July 30th, and this is episode 26 of the Marty Called Podcast. This is what happens when I read from the script. I'm Tim Grassi, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Assault Masaki. How's it going, Josh? It's going good, but you know, reading is hard. Don't feel bad about yourself, buddy. <laughs> I read it perfectly, I just didn't have the day right. Uh, I'll send LeVar Burton over to help you. <laughs> and Skipper Ben, what's up, Ben? I am absolutely exhausted right now from work, so uh, you guys, for once, are going to have to carry the show. I'm not going to be able to carry it this week, so if you guys <laughs> don't mind... Jungle Cruise show, so. <laughs> uh, uh, Just a, a little warning, I am recording while watching the Dodgers-Astros game in the background, so if I just <laughs> randomly scream and yell, it's because Alex Bregman took a baseball to the back of the head. Uh, so just a little warning, and Josh knows exactly what I'm talking about. If he yells and screams, it's because a little ladybug like, crawled on his foot or something. <laughs> Sure. He's, he's trying to man it up over there. <laughs> I am a, uh, in, in as much as I fight anybody, I'm a proud member of the Joe Kelly Fight Club. Uh, he's my favorite right now. <laughs> but I, at the same time, the best thing for the Dodgers is to not have Joe Kelly pitch for eight days. So uh, it's kind of, you know, pick your poison. Um, anyway, which, that's, not why, that's not why you called. <laughs> no. Nope. Uh, <laughs> That's nope. not what okay. Marty called about. That's what my show notes say. Uh, we have a lot of things to get to uh, on this show. We are going to answer, as promised, two listener questions from David Thacker, uh, which we teased on our last show. Uh, we're going to de- we're going to dive into Tim's dream journal. Uh, read a, uh, <laughs> a thread on WDW Magic where the sky is falling. Uh, but first, we're going to start with uh, uh, Josh talking about kind of the last few episodes and the nature of what Disney and the real world and the mixture of the two mean to us and what our intentions were with this show. And uh, I'm, without me stumbling through with this explanation any further, I'm going to hand it over to Josh. Sure. So we received an email um, about a week and a half now, I guess, maybe two weeks ago from a listener who was uh, unhappy enough with what I said during the course of the show that they commented that they had to turn it off. And uh, I don't want to get in the substance of that, but I, but I, I thought a lot about this, and I'll, and I'll be, I'm trying to be as honest and transparent as I can here. I initially was tempted to sort of get mad. You know, it was sort of like I took it as an insult, and I, but I, I thought more about it, and I, I wanted to respond to it in a, at least, you know, as close to a reasonable and well-thought-out way as I could. Um, and what I came up with is this, and I, I think it's maybe worth noting just because I suspect that even though we only heard from one listener specifically, uh, I suspect that there might've been other people that were maybe disappointed by the fact that our Disney based show turned political to, you know, momentarily during certain parts. Certainly I suspect that to the extent that any of us expressed an opinion that bordered on anything political, uh, or social, that there's probably going to be people who disagree with that. That's why these issues are divisive, because there's lots of people that have lots of various viewpoints on them. And there's a couple of things I wanted to say. The first is that Tim and I probably had eight or nine months of discussion before Marty Called started. And we talked a lot about what we wanted the show to be, what we didn't want it to be. And I can assure every listener out there that neither of us had any interest or intention in making a political podcast. What we Correct. really wanted to make was a show about uh, you know, the design, creation, operation, and management of a major theme park. It just so happened, unfortunately, and I think the word unfortunately is appropriate here, that history unfolded in such a way that a lot of these very complicated and divisive social, political, you know, health issues uh, crept into a sphere that didn't normally involve those things to the degree that they do now. So when that happened, we all, the three of us, really had a choice to make, and we discussed this at length. We could just pretend it wasn't happening, 
But that is really disingenuous to the heart and spirit of our show, which is essentially a role-playing game. This is basically Disney management Dungeons and Dragons that we do. We, we are trying to imagine the decisions that we would make if we were in a position within these companies to make them. That's sort of the spirit of the show. And certainly we go a lot on lots of deviations and tangents from that, but that's sort of the rail that we try to ride the whole thing on. And, you know, I don't do this show to make money. I certainly don't do it to upset anyone. The reason that I do this show, and I suspect that it's the same for Tim and Ben largely, um, is because I enjoy having the conversation with friends who are into the same sorts of things I am. And I also hope that the people who download it listen, uh, the people who download and listen to it enjoy it. So I have no interest whatsoever. I'm not being sadistic here uh, in trying to make anyone uncomfortable. And I recognize that I really maybe spent more time than I should as I sit here alone bored. Um, but, you know, podcasting is weird in that I think what makes it work is that it's not about production value. It's the sort of, you know, low production value, casual conversation between, you know, normal people, which makes it intimate. And I think that's why it works. But it occurs to me also that when you're listening to a normal conversation take place between normal people, podcasts are weird and that you're sort of having this conversation thrust upon you and you don't really have any way to respond, at least not in real time. So I get why it could be frustrating if someone like me uh, is going on a you know five or six minute diatribe about something that's purely their opinion and you don't agree with it. I get why that can be frustrating. So again, as I struggle to get my head around how to respond to the listener complaint basically about me, uh, all I guess I want to say is this. Uh, I'm not here to try and offend you. I'm not interested in being hard-headed or ignorant. And if I say something that you think is ill-informed or misinformed, I invite you to write in and ideally provide me or whoever you might be uh, offended by or disagree with, you know, some substantive information. Because at the end of the day, we're all on this planet together. Uh, You know, there's a spaceship Earth tie in there for you. And I think if we all hope to at least be decent and better people and become better tomorrow than we were today, uh, that we've got some hope. And certainly Walt Disney was a guy who believed in hope. Epcot is a place, my favorite park in the world, that's you know all about hope and the future and growth. Um, I hope that when I look back at my, uh, you know, in the future at the me that I am today, that I wish that I knew now what I know then. So I'm always looking to grow. Um, so don't just assume that I'm a hard-headed asshole. Uh, even though I certainly can be, you know, educate me. Uh, th- I'm I'm happy to listen to opposing viewpoints. And honestly, my real goal for this show is that we don't really have to get into those things very much. What I want more than anything is for life to go somewhat back to normal, um, you know, so that we can not have to deal with these issues if we want to have an actual meaningful contemporary conversation about what it is to run a park. That's really all I have to say. Something that you say a lot, and I think it's a an excellent point is that you love having your mind changed. Um, and I, I think it's a, it's a good approach to have and not to continue that pseudo-political discussion. This is something that can you can take into everyday life regardless of what the topic of conversation is. If you're having a discussion about something, make sure you're listening and not just talking. So, Amen to that. Uh, uh, to that point, we're going to move away from from that topic uh, <laughs> into a uh, not necessarily a negative topic. Although, actually, this this is a quite negative topic, but not implying that uh, Josh's commentary was negative. Uh, there was a thread <laughs> that on. That was very uh, clear, Tim. Don't worry. Yes. yes. <laughs> a uh, 
a more serious topic. Uh, there was a thread over on WDW Magic started by a longtime user named Phoenix. And in that thread, he basically painted a very dire picture of the future of not just the Disney parks, but uh, the Disney company in general. <laughs> the The gist of it is that the current situation with the parks is unsustainable, that they'd likely be dropping to five days a week soon, uh, that Epcot is lucky to hit 2,500 a day, um, and that there will be a lot of people being fired, that it's going to make the layoffs uh, that took place post 9-11 and post the uh, 2008 burst uh, look like nothing. It is a <laughs> It is a very interesting read. I will preface it by saying that this user, while he has some credibility, uh, not some, he has, he has a lot of credibility, he seems to come out of the woodwork when things are at their worst. So we all read it. Uh, we don't want to put too much uh, uh, time and effort into this. And I promise, if you don't want to hear any of this crap, fast forward five minutes and we're going to be talking about much happier things. But it was an interesting read, and I know uh, Josh and Ben read it as well, and perhaps have some thoughts on what this may mean for the future of the parks uh, this year and beyond. Well, first of all, I want to say that I'm 80% sure that it was actually penned by Michael Eisner. I can't <laughs> okay. prove that, but just a, just a theory. Okay. It, w- it really wouldn't surprise me, to be honest with you. <laughs> we'll post a link to this on our Facebook page just so people have, any, have an idea of what we're talking about. That was kind of my, not Eisner on that side, but that was a a bit of my takeaway was while the initial post maybe had some uh, valid points on there. And I think Mm -hmm. we all can agree that we're going to see the parks in a vastly different way moving forward. Uh, If you read through a few more responses, it was very easy to see that this guy has got a huge, huge, huge issue with all things Bob Iger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which at that point, (laughs) (laughs) it it starts to taint a little bit on on some of the points that he's pointing out there. That that was my takeaway from it. That There's uh, no hope of reading it and not seeing the bias. That's for sure. There has always been an agenda with his posts as I look back, you know, 10 years. So. Which honestly, so, in, in a crazy way, sort of gives it some credibility because it's almost hard to believe that someone could be that pissed off without having a connection <laughs> to the company. Yeah. I mean, I suppose they can be, but you know what I mean? It almost feels like they're, they, they're like a jilted lover or something. And, and the way the, the, the points that he puts across there, uh, <laughs> it, like you said, comes out of the woodworks during the worst times. It's like uh, it would be like us coming out the week before Endgame comes out and saying this movie's going to make all the money in the world. Well, no crap. Yeah. It's going to make all the money <laughs> in the world. So, yeah, I got it. I did it. So that's it's it's kind of the opposite of that. Uh, I, I wonder what points we would like to talk about moving forward. I do think there's going to be layoffs. I do think uh, a reduction in hours is, is, is definitely going to happen in some uh, extent. The closing of parks uh, could happen. But, you know, what What do you guys think as far as like how they could uh, – he mentions in there the, the, the close, you know, reduction of uh, parks to five days a week, which yeah. could, depending on how they do it, could be catastrophic to how people plan their vacations moving forward. The way he tries to put it out there makes it sound like the old, you know, Monday, Tuesday, everything's closed when – there's there could be a much more staggering that could you know right make yeah, it to where people more... can still have their yeah. trips and not have it hiccup too much because I'll tell you right now if they go Monday Tuesday closed I'm a guy who goes you know usually ten day trips once a year what what you know that's going to eat away at people wanting to do you know spend any kind of length of time there so I, I don't I just don't think they could do anything like that. Cool. Uh, 
but he, he would make you want to think that. You had a comment in our chat earlier that it would make, in your mind, it made more sense to have one park open each day. Yeah. And it seems to me that that makes a lot of sense. And when you consider the fact that as far as I know, they're still on a one park per day policy anyway, it seems like the impact would be, you know, some somewhat reduced. Obviously, it, it reduces flexibility. But let's be honest, if this wasn't a dire situation, I mean, if let's just assume for the sake of this conversation that the that the objective data in here is correct, the 2500 mm-hmm. people per day hitting Epcot, if that really is a valid number, then the fact is that the customer impact of, of uh, you know, inconvenience in customers is minimal just because no one is going. So, right. you know, if there's if there isn't anything that Disney can do to, to increase revenue and by increasing attendance, then it seems to me that the only real vehicle they have to minimize their loss is to reduce their expenses. And, you know, having, I don't know how many people it takes to staff Epcot for a skeleton operation, but I bet that it's a lot more expensive than, than you know, meets the eye. Um, to have that park open with 2,500 guests in it per day, a couple hundred at a time, or the numbers that were in this, you know, post, um, that's just not sustainable, I don't think. So I think some kind of change is inevitable. So let's, that, that number seems too low to be remotely believable. But at right? the same time, we, we are in a, a, a unprecedented time. So to put that in perspective, when uh, Volcano Bay opened, there was some debate as to what its capacity was. And Volcano <laughs> Bay is substantially <laughs> – shut up, Ben. Uh, <laughs> is, is significantly smaller than Epcot is. The The quoted attendance ranged anywhere between, I think, four and 10,000 guests yep. at, at initial opening was what its capacity was. And it was regularly hitting it. Uh, Epcot last year, if we're believing the TIA numbers, which – um, again, we, we, we know this is the best information we have. Average 34,000 guests a day. And this is only 7% of that average. So it is remarkably low. One of the things we had suggested, and again, this goes into the, uh, uh, we called it standpoint, um, was saying that Epcot shouldn't be open. Yeah. And I think that if you're going to do something uh, after the fact, uh, if you're going to keep parks open five days a week, Maybe each park is only open five days a week, but uh, there are you basically have two or three parks open every single day. You don't have four parks open every single day, and I think that is a reasonable enough solution given the current circumstances and current climate that we're in. Yeah, I would agree with that. The uh, there was a follow up comment here by somebody who, again, I I cannot vouch for this person, but others have on WDW Magic. Uh, this poster's name is WDW Pro. And he said that there are several other options being discussed with, with a decision due soon. Uh, the Magic Kingdom and Magic Kingdom Resorts open only. And I believe this was an initial proposal by Chapek that for some reason did not happen. Uh, rotating Animal Kingdom and Hollywood Studios, uh, making Epcot an afternoon-only park, temporarily shutting down Future World entirely. So within I don't like various that idea. forms, we've talked about all of these, though. Uh, I think Josh made a joke at my suggestion of open up World Showcase, don't charge admission, and just have it be a food festival. And I think you said, hey, all right, I like that idea, but why don't we charge for it? Because, you know, that's what Disney does. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and I, I think all of those things should be on the table. And especially if Epcot is getting 2,500 people uh, a, a day, make that the only place you can hop to and make it be a lunch and dinner festival option. And so 
I I don't actually have a rundown of what's open in World Showcase, but I was talking to Gary last night, and it seems like the majority of shops are closed. Like Mitsukoshu, yep. I, I can never pronounce it correctly, um, completely closed. Um, the store and the restaurant, uh, the China store, all the stores there are completely closed. Uh, most of the restaurants from his report closed. So, you know, that, that leaves one wondering if the only things there are the attractions, um, you know, paying for it would be a tall order, I think, as a guest. I have, uh, I've sort of changed my position. Uh, on the last show, I said, you know, I didn't really have any intention of going for the remainder of the year. But seeing these numbers, I kind of, as someone who's been there a thousand times, I want to go there and experience it now just because I hope sincerely that there's never another time in my lifetime where they are this desolate. So I think it would be an interesting experience just to see them in the state because this has really never happened. Maybe that's morbid of me. I don't know. But, um, you know, just to be able to walk around there when they're essentially deserted um, would be a different experience than it's ever been before. I walked around Disney Springs when it was like that, and it was probably 10% of what's normally there. And it felt great to be there. And if you were to go down to Disney World, it's going to feel great to be there. But at the same time, it's going to feel bizarre. And as much as uh, you say that you like robots more than people, I think there's going <laughs> I, to be... I stand by that. <laughs> I think there's going to be a level of this This doesn't have the energy that yep. a Disney park normally yeah. has. There's gonna, it, it's not going to feel the same. And whether it feels as special, whether it feels more special, I don't know. It's, it's not something I'm willing to do in 95-degree heat wearing a mask. That uh, topic is discussed in this thread as well um, with a suggestion. And I'm Josh and I uh, – Josh likes to use big words. I'm going to say scientist. Josh would say epidemiologist. Um, neither of us are you scientists or ep- <laughs> epidemiologists. Um, but – Look at you go. One of, one of the suggestions, I uh, got a 500 of the verbal SAT. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the suggestions was that outdoor locations are far less susceptible to the spread of the virus. And I, I'm I of the opinion. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, you know, yeah, I don't know what to believe about this thing. I am not smart enough to know whether that's true. That's, yeah. that's the end of my sentence. Here's what but, I know that if you want, if you want to find evidence of your theory online, it's there. Right, like there's, there's no, true. there is no theory that has not been proffered. The problem is without the training, how do you filter through that and make any sense of it? And I, I don't, I don't believe that majority rules is a good system because, uh, you know, there has been, you know, the earth was flat. The earth was the center of the solar system. Well, there wasn't a solar system. The earth was the center of the universe. You know, those were all things that the greatest scientific minds in the world agreed on at one point. So, yeah. you know, I, we're, we're a long way away, I think, from knowing what the actual objective truth about all this stuff is. Right. And this will be my last uh, COVID commentary. I truly believe that we know about 10% of what is to be known about this right now. Um, and I think as as such, for me personally, I'm staying away. But I wouldn't begrudge anybody that uh, says, hey, I don't want to live in fear. I'm going to go. I'm going to take the necessary precautions. Um, but if they're open, I want to be there. And Just to be clear, I'm not willing to go because I won't be afraid. I'm willing to go because I already live in fear, so I don't have much to lose. <laughs> I'm afraid point. of everything. <laughs> it's a fair point. Um, uh, do we have anything? Go- oh, go ahead, Ben. I was going to say, going along that thread a little bit more, uh, you know, they, they uh, I, I kind of wonder about this a little bit as well. They compare 
Orlando, could that be a situation like what <laughs> happened in Detroit years ago? And I don't want to get into that too, too much here. But the one thing I wonder. The universe is if, conspiring to yes. have email written to me. You realize that? <laughs> I'm trying really hard over here. Josh just texted me and said to bring this up. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> Because the theme parks in Disney and Universal are so vital to that area of Central Florida, and do, do you think there's ever a situation where there's some kind of bailout or anything to kind of help keep the company moving and functioning and, and, and moving along so it doesn't bottom out and fail? Or are we just looking at a point where Disney eventually splits it off and sells it to somebody who uh, wants to buy it for pennies on the dollar right now? But who's that someone? That's the thing is when you have yeah, a at, when you have at, a, a literally global pandemic, this is not a situation where there's an acute harm to one company. Like when Kodak, I don't know if you know this, but uh, an engineer at Kodak actually invented the digital camera and presented it to his bosses. And they're like, put that toy away. You know, real photographers <laughs> use film, you know, want to buy some Kodak stock? Um, you know, that's not this. This is a situation today, yes, where but no. <laughs> I, I was going to say, <laughs> maybe I was going to say uh, Jeff Bezos looks a lot like uh, JPEG, so they could just swap and Amazon buy the place. That's baldism, and I'd appreciate it. Sorry. Quick aside, if you ever want to, I might have mentioned this on the show before, but if you ever just in a bad mood and you want to feel better about yourself, just Google Jeff Bezos laughing. It is the most <laughs> maniacal, like terrifying thing that you will ever see. But the guy's uh, genius. So what do you uh, I mean, there's rumors. That, there's been rumors about you know Apple. Could they be in a situation to acquire something like that? You Why know? would Apple want to have a theme park? Right. Any you creative know? company that has a pile of cash is going to be rumored. Whether there's any substance to that rumor, right? Is, this uh, is like you know when you're broke and you you like encounter a rich person, you're like, well, maybe they'll give me money. It's like yes. no, <laughs> they won't. But if the if the if the company's in a situation that they have to split it off and move it, you know these companies also invest in things that they know they can make money in at some point. So that's why they're way richer than any of us and uh, can can move forward like that. I don't know. It just seems like uh, how dire does the situation have to get out there before anybody steps in to kind of make sure things. I, I'm not joke. I mean, part of me worries. Will I ever visit the parks the same way I ever you know grew up enjoying them? Will I ever the same way? Again. No. I mean, you'll, you'll, yeah. you'll never be the same. I mean, no. But that's not bad, necessarily. It could be bad. Uh, but it, it, you it know. is if I can only go three days a week. Well, <laughs> I, you know, the arrow of time is, uh, you know, perpetual in its in its mission. There, You know, if you went back a year and a half Is that an Epcot today, quote also? <laughs> it is. <laughs> you, know, you know, 365 days ago, I think that's a fair statement still. You know, none of us would have said that this was possible. So I don't, you know, I don't think that it's necessarily useful to be fatalistic and say that because things are really bad now that they're doomed to always stay that way. Um, you know, th there's been tremendous uh, tragic things that have happened in the in the history of humankind where if you were enduring them, you would like if you were in the middle of World War II, you would never envision a time where you could go on a family vacation to a nice theme park and have fun with, you know, life-size animated characters come to life, right? That that would be an absurd thought. And we're sort of in the midst of this now, but I, I don't, I think that the, you, you know, you commented a second ago, Ben, about this is why we're not the rich ones. I truly believe there are lots of people in the world right now who are seeing the opportunity that's going to stem from all this. And that's not necessarily exploitive. You know, there's going to be, I, I just, I have a hard, either this is going to end the world where the world is going to recover. I don't really picture, I don't think that we're at a point in history where all the good times are now behind us and we're just going to, you know, exist painfully until we all die. I don't, I don't think we're there. 
on that uplifting message, maybe we change the topic. That is I mean, uplifting. <laughs> it is. It is. Hey, can, can we can we have five minutes where I can write Tim an email about Josh real quick? Go for it. Yeah, you can do that. Uh, I'm going to go over my dream journal, and okay. you can just tune me out or mock me either way. Um, Dear so, Tim. I would be far less magnanimous in responding to your letter than I was to someone <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, as we uh, kind of live through uh, the darkest timeline here, I don't know if you guys have you know dreams of whatever your favorite dreams. place with places and for for us wet ones a lot of <laughs> cases it's uh, it's Disney World so um, whenever I have a dream about a vacation or anything like that it's never like the true version of whatever that place no. is. it's never like that that detailed so I was uh, I had some earlier this week. A dream where I was at some sort of bizarro Disney World with my family, uh, but it was it was Disney World to us in the context of the dream. It wasn't like it, in the context of the dream, it was not bizarro Disney World. Right. And my family and I were pissed because we found out that they changed Pirates of the Caribbean again. Uh, so I recognized in the dream that that uh, we were pissed. Uh, they changed it, and I vividly remember what they changed. And in hindsight, I actually think the change makes sense to the attraction uh, from a continuity standpoint. So, uh, I'm assuming you guys have seen, maybe not in person, but the new uh, redhead scene in the attraction? Yeah. Okay, yep. so they're, they're, if uh, our listeners haven't seen this, uh, they've replaced the non-talking redhead with a redhead uh, pirate, and the townsfolk are bringing artifacts to the auction as opposed to it being a bride auction. For a, a clock for a buck! Yeah, it's uh, l- it's lousy audio. You get rid of the Paul Freeze audio, but that's neither here nor there. And uh, some of the artifacts that were brought were a chandelier, because uh, what pirate doesn't need a chandelier or a grandfather <laughs> clock? Uh, but it, it's all right. We're we're making it politically correct. I get it. So in the context of my dream, before you go down the waterfall, you you uh, go past the beach where I don't know if they still have the mermaid skeleton, but on that beach was a beaten up grandfather clock. And I thought, you know what? The fact that we go back in time and this perhaps washed up on the shores actually makes continuity sense in the context of a dream, which I thought was interesting. Not suggesting that they make the change, but I found it interesting as a way, if we're going to change one scene, potentially have it change another. So. I'm always, I think that all of these attractions have sort of a dreamlike non sequitur aspect to them that makes them sort of disorienting and confusing. And uh, I don't really know how to explain it any better than that. But you don't want to, it's not an instruction manual on how to assemble a table from Ikea. You know, I mean, that's right. what makes a good story. It's there's, there's layers there. I think different people sort of bring their experiences to it. And to, you know, the story is going to be a little different to everyone who sees it because they're viewing it through the lens of their own eyes and life. So, uh, I don't think your dream sequence. I was hoping it was going to be a dirtier dream than that. No, but I'm sorry, it wasn't. <laughs> what kind of the most interesting man in the world over here dreaming about grandfather clocks? Now, the the best part about this too is on my old show, the E Ticker Report. Both Derek and Chris would have given me uh, crap for that story taking way too long. So I welcome that uh, to come in from any of our listeners or Derek or Chris if they're uh, so inclined. Uh, but anyway, thank you for indulging me for that. Uh, <laughs> this this does bring us to our actual uh, topic of discussion for the show. Uh, on our last show, we called for listener questions. And as per usual, uh, one David Thacker, who was keeping our Facebook group alive, asked us two questions that we thought uh, should be their own show segment, if not their own show. Uh, why don't we start with the Star Tours one? Because um, I, I don't think we have as much on that one. But the question was, if Walt Disney World was going to pull Star Tours, what would you put there? Muppets, or would that entire area change to something totally different? 
I'm pulling it all out since COVID probably killed any chance of a new theme park for a villain's park. Uh, ben, I know you had a take on it. Josh, did you have any commentary on this either? So I have a reasonably well thought out response to David's second question, but I literally wasn't able to even put my head in the space. All right, of- ben. <laughs> <laughs> uh, got something for the second one. Ben, you had a, a direct thought on this? Yes. The largest meet and greet building in Disney World. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Is it wrong I, I, that I don't hate that idea, actually, like <laughs> to centralize all of the meet and greets into a single area? Anyway, sorry. Uh, uh, so I don't think you can do Muppets here uh, because I just don't. They don't have the faith in that that brand to retheme another attraction around it. If anything, I think Muppet Vision, unfortunately, at some point um, gets swallowed up by something else. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you keep it stars, you know, if you want to do something Star Wars, I feel like it has to be connected to Galaxy's Edge, which means you've got to you've got to extend a whole lot. You've got you've got that whole walkway between Star Tours and Galaxy's Edge story. Yeah, so I don't think that works either. The one thing I thought that could work. And it's, you know, you can't have the Marvel characters uh, in the parks, which takes away the Iron Man experience that's, you know, uses the same technology as Star Tours uh, that's overseas. But I do think you could kind of go with that same concept, which is a it's it's using uh, that technology to, you know, in that, that ride, Iron Man is fighting a major battle sequence and you're flying around in the battle. You're flying next to Iron Man. Uh, you're helping him, you know, save the day, whatever. While you can't do Marvel superheroes in the park, you do have a superhero franchise that is a billion, billion dollar franchise. I was thinking you you make this a, an Incredibles area and yeah. you you keep the same ride system. Uh, you could you, you could have it as Edna Mode's, you know, place and, and, and use the queue and everything to go around her house and interact with her. Or I thought you could maybe go the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, mission breakout way and maybe you're being trapped in a villainous lair and you're, you know, trying Dash gets free or something and you've got to help free the other Incredibles. And that's how the storyline is built around uh, breaking them out and then battling uh, whatever villain you need to. But using you could almost go with that same uh same video concept if you wanted to as the Iron Man and just swap out the Marvel characters for the Incredibles type characters. Uh, and again, the movies have made so much money. The It's been such a successful franchise that I think it could warrant its own uh, area uh, and definitely its own attraction uh, in the park. So that, that was my idea for Star Tours without having to gut the building, gut the ride <laughs> system. You're, you're just changing some theming, changing a ride movie. And because I, I mean, I still like Star Tours. Uh, I know the tech is kind of uh, the, the tech itself is dated, but the experience to me is still very fun every time I go on it. So I don't think you need to change anything when it comes to what kind of ride you're riding. Just figure out a new way to theme it. So I think I misunderstood the question. I thought David was suggesting he pull out the entirety of uh, of the Star Wars land, not just Star Tours. So I apologize. I should have done my homework a little better. Um, I, I, yeah, his gist of it was Star Tours in the surrounding area of that, not Galaxy's Edge. Gotcha. So, Ben, to your point, uh, I, pers- I, I like the idea of an ever-evolving attraction now that they're actually doing it. Like, so many times they've thrown that out there where – are, we're going to keep on updating this, and they never really do it. Now, with Star Tours, uh, this current version of it has had three updates with the three movies, and they may be over and done with those updates, but it was still an ever-evolving attraction, and I think that's a great idea to keep it fresh. 
Um, at this point, I would say Star Tours is probably safe for at least five years. Uh, I think that, as Ben said, you could conceivably change the story and timeline for Galaxy's Edge and expand the footprint of it over there, uh, but I don't think that's a realistic option. And the other things in the area, Indiana Jones or Muppets, uh, Ben, you said it. Muppets probably isn't big enough to necessitate a mini land, and Indiana Jones 5 may not actually happen. So uh, while those might be the cheaper options, they may not be uh, viable either. I think for me, um, Incredibles, uh, well, it's kind of middle of the road for Pixar for me for for where it is on my uh, uh, personal rankings, but so many other people love that movie, and a... A simulator is something that I don't think we really object to a retrofit, a, a redo of the ride yeah. system. I, I think that's those lend themselves to keeping uh, a ride system in place. It's literally part of the value prop of why they justify right. putting them in in the first place. So I'd be 100% on board with an Incredibles change there. Uh, actually, when when Disney puts in a uh, an IP that is not necessarily fresh, I'm <laughs> purpose-built attractions for that. Almost, so I'm, I'm probably contradicting something I've said in the previous 25 episodes, but it seems that Incredibles as a makeover to something in this context doesn't bother me at all. Uh, whereas perhaps a purpose-built Incredibles attraction, I'd probably be excited about it, but it seems like it's not necessarily fresh enough to do that, even though uh, a new movie only came out a few years ago. Uh, I don't really know why I have that mindset, but just the thought process, as you said, it makes I think, more I think sense differently than that. Cause I, I feel doing what you're doing runs a very high risk of sort of going with the flavor du jour instead of something that'll stand the test of time. I think that the, the realistic approach for Hollywood studios future is that the next area of development will probably be animation courtyard. I think that, uh, that makes sense. Getting rid of Star Wars Launch Bay and possibly connecting it to Rock and Roller Coaster and having one or more attractions in that loop makes the most sense to have it away from the back half of the park. Uh, to put another draw in Echo Lake uh, relatively close to Galaxy's Edge doesn't seem to be the best use of crowd management there. So I would think that the next area is going to be far away from that, which is why I think Star Tours is safe for at least five years, probably longer. Um, but ultimately, the idea might just be uh, gut the entire area, get rid of the simulator, do something totally different. Um, the one thing I think Hollywood Studios needs more than anything is a boat ride. So if God I'm going to gut the entire it. area, I'd put a I boat hate, ride there. I hate you so much right now. Why do you say that? Part two of our uh, David Thacker questions, but go ahead, go well, ahead. No, all, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is boat ride. I will cut it off there because I very well may hit on your second David. No, no David matter, Thacker. no matter what Ben says. Now I'm just going to assume that he copied Tim. God there you dang go. it, Tim! He got my show notes. <laughs> so uh, we didn't really have a, a definitive answer to that question. So we'll get a more definitive answer to your next question, uh, which uh, David, since you are a frequent writer, uh, the way that we do this is we insult you as best we can. Uh, this second question was worded horribly, but I think we got the uh, the gist of it. Each of you have been commissioned to build one new ride attraction in one of the four parks for 2023. Why 2025? And yes, that is uh, not me misspeaking. That is a typo for him. Uh, so, you can't so you can't calm something already coming. Space has been made for your attraction, so you not have to worry about size. That's what she never said. 
Three guys, four parks, no doubling up on parks. So one park, get no love. So uh, By the translation way, don't Google here. three guys, four parks. <laughs> yeah, don't do, don't <laughs> Google that. Um, translation here is we each picked a park and we basically had a blank sheet of paper to create an attraction. Um, so so to that point, uh, we also added the additional rule: Ben isn't allowed to fuck up Epcot. So <laughs> we t- we took that option away from Ben. Dang it. <laughs> Uh, Josh, you took Epcot. Ben, you took the studios, correct? Yep. And I took the Animal Kingdom. Uh, so which one of you guys wants to kick us off? I'm good either way. Ben, since I kind of introduced yours, uh, do you want to lean into it? Uh, I can. Uh, the, the studios needs a boat ride. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's the show. Thanks Uh, for the download. (laughs) So I think... Actually, I felt that the studios was actually a much tougher uh, test than than I anticipated at first, because being the uh, studios, the only guy who likes the studios on this show, uh, especially the old studios, screw old Epcot. Um, <laughs> I, you know, initially wanted to be like, you know, some backstage tour or some making of uh, uh, some film or you know go through a uh, uh, anything that had to do with like the original idea of the park until it hit me like that i that that whole concept is dead uh and so any of those kind of ideas i had to trash because doing something like that would not make any sense in this park anymore this park is just strictly a ip park now what yeah. what what do we want what ride do we want to build around what uh film that we have ownership of so that kind of took a lot of the fun out of it, um, to be honest with you. So the the one thing I did fall back on, uh, it's exactly what you said. Like, there is no water ride in this park. And it just hit me, like, especially the, the last time going through uh, Toy Story Land and stuff, just how much, how hot it was. We always say Animal Kingdoms, you know, you just bake in Animal Kingdom. It's hot in the studios as well. Uh, going through that area is, is blistering. You know, I love they have the big fans now in Indiana Jones, but I used to remember seeing people walk out of Indiana Jones and just buckets of sweat pouring off of them because how, how hot it, everything traps in there. So I did, I thought, you know, boat ride would be the, the way to go uh, on, on something like this. And so I know I brought this attraction up a million times on the show and I'm going to keep doing it until they finally build a version of it over in uh, Florida. But I go back to I, I love what I've always seen from the Pirates of the Caribbean ride in Shanghai. Uh, I really need to read verbatim when you're done exactly what I wrote for the Star Tours pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Let me finish and then you can step in yep, and, and yep. it'll be kind of funny. Uh, so, but on that one, it's not really, you know, per se your, your wet water ride. It's a, it's a, it's a ride that uses water to, as you pass through the attraction, but you don't really get wet. There's a, there's a, there is a drop on the end that, uh, unless I'm misreading or misseeing something that you, you might get a little spritz here and there, but you're not going to get wet. I think it's uh, a pirate's stateside level of drop. Okay. So, uh, you know, I would use that ride system where they can move the boats through the attraction and, and turn you and point you in the directions to, to in the show scenes, uh, like, you know, really manipulate the, the boat itself to, to show off stuff, but finish it with a substantial enough drop that you could have, uh, you could have some fun with the water side of it. So, uh, once I settled on a boat ride, I had to go like, ah, what water-based Disney movie is there that you could build a water ride around? And I settled on Moana. Uh, I figured that the, the, 
you know, you're never going to get the pirates, so we're not going to get a pirates ride over here again. Uh, but there's enough scenes in Moana. There's enough characters in Moana. Uh, there, there's almost that right mix of you could have audio animatronics with several of the characters in that film that would look real. you know, a Maui audio animatronic would look really, really cool. Uh, obviously, Moana would look cool, but there's things in that movie that you just can't pull off with an audio animatronic. It's too big and too vast. So that's where the, the digital screens that they use, like for the pirate battle scenes over there. And then when you descent underwater, uh, that's where you could utilize that technology for those areas. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, the final climactic scene at the end with, with the, uh, when she's dealing with like the, the, the gods and the lava and all that stuff, you know, that's that it just plays into a spot to where you can have a nice big drop at the end, bring the water effect on you and everybody walks away happy, at least in my dream, like Tim had earlier that we had to hear. Uh, <laughs> I dreamed this all up, but that's, that was my idea was adding some kind of water attraction to the park, something that thing, uh, you know, that that park has needed for years. Uh, and this is coming from somebody who doesn't tend to like water rides. I don't like to get soaked on anything I go on, but uh, you know, I love me a splash mountain. I love, you know, I love just the drops in pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, it doesn't have to be over the top. It doesn't have to be Jurassic Park uh, level uh, drop, but something that adds a little uh, excitement at the end. But the way that attraction over in Shanghai, the, the the mix of the AAs, the mix of the digital technology, I think just plays really well into a Moana themed attraction. I like that idea better than mine. Uh, so you're welcome. Thank you. Um, Which is a my, song you would hear during that ride. <laughs> uh, I, I said basically uh, boat ride, Shanghai Pirates tech, and make it Indiana Jones. That was it. So yep. Ben did much more fleshing out than that. <laughs> well, again, this was a very quick pitch for the Star Wars <laughs> component. So I, I just want to see a Tamatoa audio animatronic. I think that would be awesome. Maui and him fighting for the hook that's on his back. Uh, a there lot are a of lot fun. of really cool visuals in that movie that uh, – could be represented both with you know physical props and animatronics as well as screens, and it it gets the Rock in an attraction, so you keep the Rock happy with the Disney company. It gets Lin Manuel Miranda in an attraction, so you keep him happy with the company. It's all about uh, relationships at this point. So uh, there you go. Very good. You're, you're a relationship. Uh, Josh, do you want to go next, or do you want me to uh, do mine? I'll go. You can, you can ruin Epcot. <laughs> so yeah, not surprisingly, I picked Epcot and. My thought process for this was entirely blue sky, and it's somewhat ironic that we started the show talking about the uh, you know ostensible bankruptcy of the company according to these <laughs> posters, and now we're moving into our you know uh, dream fantasy ride insertion. But but that's the premise. That's so that's what I'm going to do. I call um, it Horizons. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, <laughs> well. I don't call it Horizons, um, but interestingly, the pavilion where I would put it is Mission Space, <laughs> and uh, I really tried to. I tried to at least keep it. It's just not very interesting anymore on a show, or if you were an Imagineer, I think to say, let's redo Horizons. That's just. It's not going to happen. You know, that's an old attraction, but there was a spirit to that attraction. There was something about it that really worked, and I do think that that it. Part of why it worked is because it was so true to what Future World and Epcot itself um, was. And I do think that, somewhat ironically, the more fucked up the world gets and the more people are in tune to the problems of the world, the more room and 
maybe even demand that there will be for an uplifting, optimistic park that shows how good things we can, uh, how good things can be if we all work together and you know, uh, you know, live up to our potential to 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 contribute what we can. So, and Horizons was was very much about that because if you look at a lot of the pavilions in Future World. They were about various technologies or ideas like imagination, but Horizons put them all together. So my attraction would be a space-themed attraction, but it would be a very specific one. Um, I think one of the most exciting things for me uh, that is going to happen, at least it looks like it's, <laughs> we, as far as we know, is the uh, Space 220 restaurant. I think that's yep. really cool. I think for a, a park that even at its lowest point, has, has still flirted with the idea of uh, technology in the future. It's really been sort of an, an obvious omission to not have a really strong representation of space exploration there. Um, you know, Horizons was, to some degree, Spaceship Earth is, to some degree, Mission Space. You know, okay, you're sort of uh, practicing doing a simulated mission to Mars, but it's... Uh, kind of goofy. I don't think anybody really finds that story compelling from the people I've talked to, but I wouldn't rip it out completely, at least not the idea. What I tried to do is think, what are we maybe a generation or two away from achieving as mankind? And it seems like one potential answer to that question is becoming an interplanetary species by being able to colonize Mars. Certainly SpaceX and Elon Musk, you know, believe that that's possible. That's something they're working toward. Maybe that will happen. Maybe it won't. But nonetheless, it's just far enough in the future to where I think it can be a plausible idea, but it's not, there's enough unknowns surrounding it to where I think there's a lot of room for creativity so that it can still be a fun experience. That was Horizon's angle. That was basically, it wasn't necessarily getting there. It was once you're there, what do you do? Exactly. And and that's, you're, you're, we're, you're smelling what I'm stepping in, buddy. Um, because, and that's part of what I think makes Mission Space fall down, especially in contrast with what it replaced, because the only thing that Mission Space concerns it with is the ride there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, think of all the people that go to Disney World. The least ex- interesting thing that most people do on a Disney vacation is get from their house to the park, right? It, it's yeah. all about what's there once you get there and what life can be. And one of the things about Horizons that was really neat is it explored these somewhat mundane things like, you know, a kid's birthday party or, you know, people going to work and farming. Uh, and it made them interesting because it, it cast them in a new light. And I think there's the potential for those of us that have kids. I don't, but uh, you guys do. You know, your kids' kids, I think there's a non-zero chance that they may be able to go explore another planet. And that's amazingly exciting. And it opens up, you know, literally another planet of opportunity to, to tell creative stories and for now to imagine what that might be like, what it might take to get that done. And I think there's just a whole lot of fun that can be had uh, you know, presenting that in, in a way that's both stimulating intellectually and also a lot of fun. So here's my idea for the attraction itself. And I have, I'll give you two versions. Uh, one version is you add what I'm about to talk about and just leave the spinner ride there, but retheme it so it's a little less corny and make okay. it more about the actual journey to the planet. Uh, option B, which I would probably prefer, is you just get rid of that and you replace the whole thing with what I'm talking about. But the idea I have is this. Um, somewhat like uh, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, but also much different, an attraction that is a hybrid between a dark ride and a roller coaster. But whereas I think uh, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train is primarily a roller coaster with sort of dark ride components, I would make this primarily a dark ride that has 
a more thrilling segment to it, which would be the travel there. And this might be a little disjointed because I'm going to jump back and forth a little bit between what Horizons was and what my idea is. Um, so I'll try and keep it as clear as I can. But in Horizons, if you think back to what the, how that attraction worked, it was a slow-moving dark ride where they told you the story first. And then at the end, the finale um, was that you uh, traveled, you know, back to, you know, the future port and you could, you know, have the one of three ways going back either undersea right, or, right. you know, space, whatever. Um, I would do that a little bit differently. I, I, and I, you know, I think there's, I certainly haven't like drawn this out. Um, but at some point in there I would have the journey, but I think since what we're really talking about here is colonizing Mars from earth, I think it makes somewhat sense from a linear storytelling perspective to have a thrill element in the beginning where you know your ride moves your ride vehicle moves quickly enough to give you a sensation of speed and i think they could use speed tunnels and screens and lots of other effects to amplify that because you know if you move someone quickly on a ride and you have the visuals to go with it 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 seems like you're moving much faster than you are right so i would do that and i wouldn't spend a whole lot of time so uh you know focusing on the journey there um you know, I would spend some time on it because I think that's interesting. You know, what the rockets would look like and everything. You know, even some of the Q ideas that exist you can in Mission build that Space. Up in the queue. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then you, you know, you're there, and then you can explore all of the different things that would take place. Uh, you know, once you're there, what would life be like? How would you, you know, move around? What would buildings look like? What would interior architecture be like? What would the activities that you would do? What kind of work would there be? You know, there was so much talk in, her, uh, in Horizons about what people did just in the course of a day. You know, even the little audio narrations that took place in the background talking about, you know, welcome to Brava Centauri, you know, where there's lots of jobs and the earth support vocations. And, you know, there's all these little throwaway lines that were, they weren't really the primary dialogue, but they created this atmosphere. He is not a beach boy. He's he's studying marine biology. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no floating city in my idea, but, you know, this is primarily about space. But that was about Uh, colonizing a different area. So, yes. Exactly. But, I mean, I think that one of the things that I believe makes these attra- that makes any attraction work is it has to it's people that ride them right these things are built by people and they're built for people um, and you have to appeal to things that are intrinsic to the human experience to make them work and that can be love it can be fantasy uh, you know it can be the future we, we I think it's just it would be very bizarre and probably some sort of psychological disorder if you didn't wonder about the future, if you didn't worry about what things are going to be, you know, and, and think about them. That's so, that's such a natural, uh, you know, ingrained part of being a human being that I think it's very easy to tap into that. So, I mean, uh, you know, I, I had probably a hundred ideas that I didn't write down just to, of things that you could explore, but, you know, school, dating, marriage, work, I mean, you, you know, you name it. Um, and, and that's what I would do. And then, you know, maybe have a return uh, you know, I kind of like the idea of bookending the dark ride component uh, component with a little bit of a thrill. Um, you know, and I, I think today's audience would probably demand that. I, I don't. Yeah. I think it's hard to sell just a you know ninety nine percent dark ride, one percent thrill attribute. Um, but if you actually go online and Google Horizons construction videos, there are some interesting uh, photos of the the actual ride system that they actually built a segment of it. I don't know if it was at Epcot or at uh, whoever actually designed the track system, but it's like in a tent where you could see the head and it's, it's very much a roller coaster ride system. I mean, obviously the restraints yep. are different Suspended, and the vehicles yeah. are different, but I mean, it's, you know, it's a tubular steel 
you know, it, they had motors on it and stuff that the cars well self-propelled. So it wasn't a traditional roller coaster vehicle. But the point is, I, I definitely think we have the technology to make, you know, uh, you know, a slightly faster moving uh, dark ride that can have segments of thrill. Uh, and, and I think that would be a more compelling hybrid solution than what they did with Seven Dwarfs, because that really is a roller coaster that has, you know, a scene in it, um, mm-hmm. in, in my mind anyway. So that's the thrust of my idea. Thoughts? Uh, I, I took some notes through it. Okay. Um, what is your opinion of the movie The Martian? I didn't see it. That's a uh, Matt Damon, right? Yeah. So whenever that's on, I turn it on. Like Matt I, Damon. I, yes. <laughs> Matt Damon. Whenever oh, that movie's letters on, are being written to you guys. <laughs> uh, you can uh, direct them to the South Park guys. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yep. Yep. Martian is. I, I think it's based on a book. I'm not 100 percent positive, but it is. Okay, so still, like, there are very few movies that are very successful in the last 10 years without, like, a, a, a greater intellectual property tie, whether the superhero movie or an uh, existing sequel. Uh, the Martian was a one-off book, as far as I know. It was a very successful movie, considering that. And whenever it's on TV, I'll pick it up anywhere and just enjoy it. Because, as Josh uh, suggested, it is attainable. Uh, maybe not necessarily in our lifetime, but in the not so distant future, uh, we believe that colonization of Mars is attainable. And I'm sure that we already discussed how I'm not a scientist, but I'm sure that there are components of it that are not scientifically uh, viable. But at the and same that's time, that's okay. It's not a blueprint it is, for SpaceX exa- to use. <laughs> exactly. It, it is. It still feels attainable, and that's uh, what so much of Epcot's futurism was about. That these are things that are attainable in the near future. Uh, I want to talk to the ride concept, um, ride system concept. Have you ever been on Journey to Atlantis over at SeaWorld? And I think there's some in Busch Gardens equivalents as well. I have not. Uh, ben, have you? I have not. Okay. So it's a, um, it looks from the outside, uh, at least in uh, SeaWorld, like a traditional flume ride. And then hidden behind the show building, there is a roller coaster component to it. So you go up, what you see uh, from the queue is you go up a hill and you come down a hill like a shoot the shoots uh, uh, flume ride. But there's a little bit of a lousy uh, show scene uh, segment, a roller coaster segment that's hidden. I don't think you were advocating for a water ride by any means, but I, I like that idea. <laughs> it's a of, boat ride to Mars. <laughs> yes, yes, a boat ride to Mars would be a little bit weird. But the uh, uh, the gist of of that concept of perhaps hiding some aspect of it, uh, and yeah. with this being a primarily an indoor attraction, you're hiding a lot of it. But anyway, um, we're we're having it be a hybrid. I think we all like that idea. And and that was part of when I said Plan A was keeping the. Uh, you know, the, the Gravitron that is mission space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I do really, really like the idea of having an attraction that's a linear experience that includes two separate ride systems where you physically get off and back on. I think that's extraordinarily immersive. Uh, and I think the more layers you have there, it really works. It's, it's hard for me to sort of fathom what that would actually be. But I mean, imagine, you know, a roller coaster, you know, a, a short, a roller coaster type attraction that is the mission there. And then a dark ride that's, you know, your your experience. Uh, you know, there's just, there's so much opportunity here to be creative if, if you weren't bound by the constraints of money and guests right, with, right. you know, goldfish level attention spans. <laughs> so what you did though, basically hits on, uh, I know Ben and, uh, we, we always joke, bring back horizons. That's the thing. Uh, if you were to bring back horizons, 
I think the move is to bring it back as three attractions. Um, and the space attraction is just one of those three. Uh, I think a living with the land update and an update to the seas satisfies the yep. uh, uh, the objectives of the original Horizons attraction. And I think living with the land is the closest to that that we currently have, but it's it doesn't really take the lighthearted approach. It is more of a scientific attraction. I mean, as much as I loved Horizons, I mean, truly, and by far, I mean, I'm going to give you some opinion and some fact. The fact is that was my favorite ride ever. Mm-hmm. And my opinion is, I think it is the most, I, I think that it is, at least if you, if you limit it to its own time period, I think that at the time it was by far the best theme park attraction that had ever been created. So I do really like the idea. Somebody's never been on Aladdin's magic carpets. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that, that's basically mission space. Um, (laughs) Like I, without the fun, as much as I love it, when I hear people say, just bring back horizons, it's really, it's lazy as a comment. I I don't think that's what people really want, but what I, what I would love to see Imagineering do uh, is really spend some time thinking about what it is that made that attraction such, you know, such a important part of so many people's life. And then, you know, integrate that into something that was along the same theme. Uh, but but to me, that's not bringing back Horizons. That's why, I, when, as soon as Ben said that, I'm like, ah, oh, because that was really the one thing I was not <laughs> trying to fall into doing. I don't think it'll get into the colonization aspect of things, but I think that there are story treatments for Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind that would hit a lot of your asks in, in this attraction. Yeah. Whether they go that route, I have no idea, but I think that the possibility exists for that attraction to... Uh, satisfy it with an intellectual, probably not fully satisfy it, but but touch on a lot of these things with an intellectual property tie-in. Um, do we have anything else on Josh's idea? I was going to say, if uh, going back to your Martian idea, yep. uh, if they did that, they could have a little bit of Horizons back, but instead of the oranges that you would smell as you pass by, you'd smell poop potatoes. There, there you go, there you go. You kind of ruined my joke, though. I was going to go in and say, well, at what point does Captain Marvel fly next to you and you battle, you go in the middle of a battle of the between the skulls and the Krees as I uh, continually try to ruin Epcot for Josh? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my job is to crap on everybody's joke uh, or their <laughs> ideas, as I did with both you and Josh. Uh, and you're the best, so, buddy. <laughs> so you're welcome. <laughs> uh, I like the idea. Uh, and, and, yeah. Uh, it's not going to be a hard sell getting us on a. Uh, Something that has the vibe of a classic Epcot attraction. Well, and it's not going to be a hard sell getting us on something that replaces Mission Space and Earth. <laughs> also true. <laughs> uh, no, it's right. good, but I'm I'm actually looking forward now to hearing how uh, Tim will improve Africa even more than it already is. <laughs> yes, yes, that's the plan. How do you fix what's already perfect? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm not, I'm not going to fix Africa because, as we know, it's it's perfection, so you can't really touch that. Uh, I do want to look at Asia, which is close to perfection, but not, not quite perfection. Um, as I'm guessing you guys are aware, there is a big plot of land north of Cali River Rapids. Um, I believe the original intent was when this was Tiger River Rapids, it was going to be a much longer attraction uh, with a more calm boat ride, and that's how you're going to encounter tigers. That uh, area the, is called Kilimanjaro Safari. You can't take the animal's land away. <laughs> if, if you look, there is a separate area from Oh, that. oh, oh, my bad. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, 
So the biggest issue with that land has always been that to get there, you either need a very narrow path or you need to remove something that's there, either the train, Maharaja Jungle Trek, or Cali River Rapids, or take like the circumnavigable route through Georgia to get there. It's really you know, like <laughs> you know what's not good during a pandemic? What? Very narrow paths. So yes, I hope you have a yes, good idea. Exactly, here. exactly. So uh my proposal would be to keep all three of those things, the train, Maharaja Jungle Trek, and Cali River Rapids, and just go above them. So what I would like to do is uh, create a new safari for Asian animals. Um, you can stick with the theme of naming it after mountains. There's a lot of mountains in there. You call it Himalayan safaris, K2 safaris. Uh, pick your favorite uh, Asian river. Do that. Whatever you want to do for the name, I don't really care. But to get there... You, uh, I want the entrance to be the area where they had the current restroom uh, next to the Anandapur ice cream truck, which is on the pathway between uh, Cali and Expedition Everest. And the queue will pass over Cali River Rapids and will get a view of the drop at the end of Cali River Rapids. And the load area will be within the footprint of Cali River Rapids. Cali is basically a circle. The ride system will be a gondola system as opposed to safari vehicles. So uh, we've uh, – Ben, have you been on the Skyliner yet? I was just going to ask if your attraction will take us over to Hollywood Studios and then it will not take us over to Hollywood (laughs) Studios. um, But I think that using similar uh, uh, vehicles, the similar gondolas, the Doppelmayr ones they use for the Skyliner, uh, it's it's record of safety uh, notwithstanding (laughs) (laughs) would would be the way to go. And part of the appeal to this to me is the the ability for those handoffs where you can have slower sections you can have the faster sections yeah. and uh and and make it so that it's more than just a transportation system um so the way that i've got this set up it'll it will run counterclockwise and we'll have stations on the ride uh where there's a handoff to those slower sections um i've got it loading in the uh footprint of cali river rapids uh in what i'm going to call a rockwork caves and this is what I thought was the the way to transition out of that area, but using a ride system to do it. Um, Kilimanjaro Safari starts outdoors, stays outdoors. I want this to start indoors. So uh, Disney loves screens. We're going to use them. And we're going to use them to make it seem like we are climbing a very deep mountain within the, uh, within the gondola. So use projection screens to change the elevation and once we get to what we deem as the top of the mountains, we start seeing animals that belong up there, like uh, those, uh, those mountain goats that, uh, that climb deep in the Himalayas, snow leopards, yeah. things like that. That's how we started off. Then we climbed down the mountain. Similar approach. You use screens to, uh, uh, to, to go down. And a lot of this is going to be indoors. A lot of these animals, I believe, and I don't know for sure, probably wouldn't do well in 95 degree humidity in, uh, in Florida. So you need a temperature controlled building. Uh, the good thing is to get over to that area, uh, you have a lot of space. And as I said, as we were discussing this, I'm going to need to borrow some of the budget that you guys have allocated for uh, your attractions, because I think I'm looking at about a $500 million attraction. to uh, Well, to we, didn't, we didn't have budget as a constraint, though, so I think you're good. I'm also not spending a lot on the ride system. I don't think the, uh, the gondola system is as expensive as, you know, really anything else that they've done. So from there, once we go through the indoor sequence where we have some of those animals that are higher up in the Himalayas, we go down the mountain and that's when you see a lot of the other uh, Asian animals, Asian elephants, uh, camels, black bears, rhinos, sloth bears, things like that. 
Um, and what I wanted as well was to have this end with an expanded outdoor habitat for orangutans, uh, where in theory they can climb from tree to tree at our eye level. Uh, not necessarily uh, where they can, you know, <laughs> uh, swing from tree to uh, uh, stanchion for the gondolas, but have That'd it be cool uh, though. Yeah, to, ha- to basically have them be parallel. And th- what what had me thinking this was at the National Zoo they have uh, similar setups where uh, every time we went there two or three days like ten years ago, and every time we were there, um, they were always elevated. So seeing them up in the trees as opposed to on the ground level, which you see at most zoos. So that was kind of my, uh, uh, my peak for the attraction. Um, it is certainly not without its logistical issues. Uh, it would dramatically affect Cali river rapids, probably have it be shut down for a year. Uh, it can be done a lot easier if you just get rid of Cali river rapids. Um, <laughs> but with the, with that park needing more attractions, uh, I was trying to find a way to do it without it. So I thought that the ride system that could get you there would be the gondola and you can in theory do it without actually, um, um without actually taking anything out. So would, would you build a second building to put the Yeti in that you go yeah, by? Yeah, or? Be, yeah we, we have another Yeti. It won't work. <laughs> There's a chance for like a weekend at Bernie's crossover here where you have some giant human animatronics that like pull the ropes on the Yeti to make them an- animate. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, you and, know, or you could go ahead. I was going to ask if you're going to have a safari guide in each gondola. I don't like, think so. No. I, I think you got to go with. Robo- I'm telling you, the robots are taking. I'm going to get my wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think it's just got to be a script. Like in this area, you see uh, you see Asian elephants, and it's more like the Warden Wilson type chime-ins on the um, on the Nobody announcements. Nobody calls them that. They're Tommies. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, my uh, my other pitch, and this is something I've thrown out there, was. Uh, for some reason, an uh, alternate pitch to save Chester and Hester. Uh, <laughs> news, news since we uh, last spoke is the primeval world is closed for good. Um, I've long said that there needs to be a dark ride in that area that's like a family-friendly dark ride. And I'd love to just see something that goes over non-dinosaur extinct animals. Um, however, they do it, whether it's like a funhouse type uh, attraction where you can have it be the carny setup, but somehow going back in time. No, no, no. Let's, can we please just get rid of the car you set up? Why are you, why are you trying to save this? <laughs> or you just get rid of it. But I, I do like the idea of having uh, like uh, extinct animals that are not dinosaurs in an attraction. But uh, my, my real pitch was the Asian safari, um, which I'd love to see. But I think uh, realistically, the budget for something like that would never be approved. <laughs> the, what they would do is take Primeval Whirl over there, call it Maharaja Whirl, and yeah. put, <laughs> put the animals along the track. <laughs> Different paint tone, still <laughs> deadly. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, I think we all. I mean, we went in dark, and despite my predicting uh, Ben's idea, uh, uh, I don't know twenty percent. <laughs> it's it's fun to do these blank piece of paper exercises. Yep. Um, if if anybody wants to throw similar ideas out to us, not necessarily blank piece of paper like David did, but perhaps with some constraints or with some idea. Like I, honestly, the blank piece of paper stuff is fun because. You know, we can just do whatever we want. But I also think if we 
truly, uh, you know, go with our theme and imagine what it would be like to take that from the conversation we had today to three separate attractions. Right. You know that what, and, and I'm not talking about things getting destroyed by committee, but just the evolution of the idea that happens when you have, you know, other smart people that are creative thinking about it. And like, like, I feel like you're, we're really just scratching the surface here with what these things could become because you get the, you know, they evolve over time. So I, it would just be really neat to be a fly on the wall to see that process. I wish, I wish Disney would do more. I know realize they're not in the business of educating other people's, you know, creative teams, but it would be really fascinating to just watch a, you know, a documentary, which is just about the, the process of developing an attraction from, from A to Z. So let's take uh, Ben's project as an example. Say the three of us are Imagineers. We're in a pitch meeting, and we were basically posed with with David's question that uh, you each pick a park, and you've got you know your ridiculous budget to add a major attraction to that park, and we decide to go with with Ben's pitch. Like there's only th- only three hundred million dollars to play with. We're putting this into the Moana attraction, and then Josh and I dig down deeper, and uh, I imagine that we watch Moana. 20 times and come up with what can we pull from this movie to put in there? Do we pull it from the movie? Do we expand the universe? Do we talk with the people at Disney animation uh, and say, yes, Ben, uh, don't forget. This is after Joe Rody sends us to Hawaii for six months. That's yeah. true. He sends us to Hawaii and inside a volcano as well, just because yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> you know, to, to pause you slightly, to, but, but on topic, there was a documentary on the Discovery Channel probably 15 years ago now. When did yep. – uh, was it 2006 that um, Expedition Everest opened? Uh, I think it opened in late 2005 at Softs and 2006 okay. officially. Yes. So this was in that in that area then. It was right before it opened. And yep. the, the one scene in that documentary was Joe Rohde with his team watching you know one of the waterfalls come down on it and he's like no that's not good enough and then someone adjusted a valve and he's like yeah that's exactly right like yep. like and and to me it seems sort of silly but that was like one of the most interesting scenes to me because it was really you know watching the people who created this thing you know chime in as to whether or not what actually got built was representative of what they visualized in their minds and to me that was one of the most fascinating things it's it's always what i i think it's sort of the fuel behind wanting to do this show it's just that That whole process of having an idea in your head and then, you know, being able to build these immense, complex things and see that come to reality, that's got to be an incredibly satisfying experience. I'd like to think that the creatives at Disney, if given our direction, uh, would take these ideas and make them infinitely better than anything we could come up with uh, with our three collective minds because it's what they do for a living. Right. And – Ben, you joked about Joe Rohde's uh, research trips, and it's it's they become infamous in the Disney fan community. But it's things like that where he will say, "All right, we've got this ninety two percent of the way, and it's that final eight percent that really makes the difference, makes something feel right." And the example, excuse me, that I keep bringing up is the Harambe Market, um, yep. where. He went in there and said, this looks great. Wait a minute. Something's off. And he looked around for you know 30 seconds and says, the chairs all match. We, in, in a traditional African market, these would be uh, mismatched at every table and goes around <laughs> and changes it. And, and something as insignificant as that, but uh, we may not observe that a uh, hundred awesome. times uh, going in there, but he knows that this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah, and that's really neat. That's really cool. Those are the types of changes that are – 
above our pay grade. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, I kick you in the balls about Africa all the time. But my absolute favorite part about that section of the park is the architecture and the design. Yeah, and it's the unbelievable. Look. It's so, better. It's yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's it's as good, if not better than the ride for me. And I love the ride. But just walking through that area just feels so authentic that yeah. uh, that you can't help but appreciate it. Right. Right. Well, well, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Ben. Sorry, but when, when Tim made his comment about Joe Rody noticing the chairs, it, it it made me think of something. Which right now I'm watching uh, Elementary, which is like a modern day take on Sherlock Holmes. You know the Red Sox are on, right? <laughs> and I've watched Monk in the past, like all these detective shows. You know, whenever you have these sort of like prodigy detectives, the one thing that they all have in common is they just they observe these really minor things and see things that that nobody else sees. And I I almost wonder if that's it. Almost seems like that's some one of a you know important attribute that an imagineer would have to have is just to to see that detail that everyone else would just gloss over that is the nonlinear storytelling that we harp on so often here that uh people have asked us to get back to the imagineering type shows uh this is this is that uh but admittedly we we do not have that full mindset we'd like to think that we can learn you from don't. those that do but um admittedly I- we we don't have it I think there's a pretty big stratus of people in the world and where I think most people, unfortunately, neither have that ability nor really appreciate it. Um, I think we're sort of in the middle where we don't have that in a large enough capacity to do it. But I think we all maybe appreciate it at a level that most people don't. I mean, I know, you know, my wife is artwork. It it is art. It really is. And it's, it's, I mean, you just think of any scene of any ride and just look at how many things are there, where they are, how they're laid out. Just, And, you know, this isn't like a haunted house where they just came into a space and decorated it, right? They, they imagined it from the beginning. And sure, there's tweaks and adjustments along the way. But to be able to, you know, to be – I mean, think about the park in general. Think about Disneyland. To be able to look at it in an orange grove and visualize – you know, in Walt's own words, uh, you know, an entertainment enterprise where parents and kids can have fun together. Oh, that's great to say. There's probably a lot of people in the world, honestly, as much credit as we give Walt for that quote, who understood that, right? That's great. It's not hard when you approach with a good idea to go, that sounds like a good idea. But to actually be able to execute on that and figure out what the details and and build that from nothing, that is just an incredible thing that the overwhelming majority of people who've ever walked on this earth don't have the ability to do. So, I mean, I think that's why I am so inspired by the people that actually can. <laughs> I agree. I absolutely agree. And it's I am fascinated by things that I can't do myself uh, in, in some shapes. <laughs> in other shapes, I couldn't care less. But in the, like in the context – Yes, exactly. In the context of um, uh, of Disney, of Imagineering, of of creative enterprises, uh, I am fascinated. Um, I look at it from from stand up comedy, where if somebody comes up with a, with a great bit, I say only this person can come up with that bit. Uh, and it, all of this is is various forms of art. I might walk through the Louvre and not have any feeling. Uh, I'm not totally heartless, but I might not have the same feeling or get as emotional as some people would. Uh, but walking through a Disney theme park, it feels like home to me. And I think that's probably what other people feel when experiencing more traditional art. So, yep, I, I think it's. Uh, something that if we can uh, if we can put anything out there to our listeners is to appreciate that nonlinear linear storytelling that is everywhere in a Disney theme park. Yep. And on that note, I think we can wrap the show. <laughs>
If you do have any questions or topic ideas, you can email us at martycalled at gmail.com. You can also follow... I can't speak tonight. Uh, you, you can also you follow us. You don't want to hear our five-star review, Tim? Do you want to read it? Go for it. Yes, I do. We don't get these very often. <laughs> <coughs> uh, let's see. This, I need to uh, your throat clear for that. This, this came in from Podchats. Okay. Thank you, Podchats. Seems uh, legit. Who... <laughs> Who hasn't done it a little bit? Sometimes they get a little in the weeds discussing news. I like the show best when they try and come up with new ideas or dissect what makes existing things work or this not. You. This show is perfect for this listener. So bad they can't give us another five star. But uh, thank you for the five star review. Podcast. Create some more accounts and just flood yeah. the uh, five star reviews. <laughs> yeah. well, no, like we certainly appreciate that. If, now our one it, our does, one star review here. What? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, there's there's two. <laughs> You do appreciate uh, the reviews. You can do that on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter under the username at Marty Called or join in the, in on the discussions. Somebody else should be reading this in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Marty Called. Uh, we'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliate links. Uh, nobody's doing that, but I'd appreciate it if you would over on MartyCall.com. Uh, Tom Brady's birthday's coming up on August 3rd. Use our link to buy him taste-free, gluten-free snacks on Amazon. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything, but helps fund the show with purchases you're going to make. <laughs> you're going to make anyways. Uh, ben, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RealSkipperBen, and you can find my new carpet upholstery installation store uh, online called utilafloors.com. <laughs> four O's. <laughs> you know, uh, Josh, what about you? B- before I give you my link, you mentioned tasteless food. I- I'm trying to lose a little weight. My wife just brought me a snack in a styrofoam bowl, and I'm pretty sure that the bowl has more flavor in it than the actual food that's in it right now. So <laughs> I really appreciated that comment. Don't uh, eat I the styrofoam. No, I made of. <laughs> you could find me at uh, utilidors.utilidors.com. Thanks for <laughs> contaminating my consumer's mind, Ben. Uh, that's, <laughs> but it is still spelled wrong. Two O's. Thank you. And you can find me wdwtheme.parks.com at wdwtheme.parks on Twitter. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Good night, everybody. Red Sox suck. You don't guys don't realize the effort I put into the uh, Hamilton song last time. The I thought it was great. The <laughs> it was excellent. Take after take that I took just to make it just right. So I had uh, King George's first song stuck in my head today, so I had to watch it a couple of times. So great. Have you uh, watched it yet, Sean? I can't speak. Watched it? Yes. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs>
This your, has your face sure, it yet, Josh. You don't have any facial drooping, are you? <laughs> it's uh, possible. I have not. 